did God really create the universe in six literal days? You mean to tell me that all the stuff that we see in the world around us happened in six days? Stay tuned today as we talk about six-day literal creation found in the book of Genesis. Plant a seed in my soul. Hey there, high school students. Thank you for tuning back in today as we discuss, did God really create the universe in six literal days? Now, a lot of people think because if you point a telescope out into the universe and you start to look at stars, for example, you'll notice what's called the red shift. And the red shift is a wavelength that is visible uh, through a telescope. That wavelength being red is a longer wavelength. So let's just pretend for a moment we had no idea how far away the stars are from us. We can observe this red wavelength. And we know that the red wavelength takes, because it's so far away, it, it could start as a different color, but by the time it reaches us here on the Earth, it's red. It's what's known as the red shift. And so the red shift indicates the fact that the stars are millions of light years away. So then comes the question, well, if the stars are millions of light years away, how could it be that God created the world in six literal days? So in order to, let's start with the Bible first, and then we'll look at science for a moment, okay? So let's start with the Bible. If you have a Bible near you, open up to Genesis chapter 1, because I want to talk to you about how God, uh, or I should say the timing of how God created the world and the universe. So here we are, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, let's just look at the uh, first couple of verses here. It says in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Now this is a pattern that begins here in uh, verse 3, this pattern of the evening and the morning, and this is the first day. Then there's another thing created, or things created, and then there's the evening and the morning and the second day, and so on and so forth, till we get to the sixth day, because God created in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. Now, at face value, we're to take it for what it says. It means what it says and says what it means. By the way, Genesis and Revelation are the two most attacked books in the Bible. I think Satan knows if he can undermine the book of Genesis, he can undermine everything else in the Bible. So, there's those that believe that these are not to be taken as literal accounts, that this is uh, poetic. As a matter of fact, a guy named Del Tackett, Dr. Del Tackett, he did an amazing job. He's got a movie called Is Genesis History? And I highly recommend you watch it. You can watch it right now. It's still on Prime. It may be on Netflix, though I, I would suggest you cancel Netflix. But watch it, then cancel Netflix, okay? But watch it. It's a really great documentary. And there's a couple of things. One, 
People argue about the use of the word yom for the word in English that we know is the word day. The word yom can mean a literal day or a period of time. We can have the same thing happen in English. We say today or this day. We could also say in that day, and we know it's a reference to a longer period of time or not a definitive point of time. So the same is true in the Hebrew. The word yom can be used as a literal day or a figurative or a period of time. But here's the thing. Context dictates the use of the word. So here we see that the use of the word is in conjunction with evening and morning, making it a literal day, a literal 24-hour time period. If we stretch it to try to make it mean something else, we mess up Genesis. We tamper with Genesis and we change the meaning of it. So the light problem. Well, we don't just have a light problem. If you were to go through, and let's just do this real quick for fun. You've got your Bible open to Genesis here. We saw that day one, there was the light. Okay, then we go down to verse six. Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and he divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and was so. God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Now, so we have something called the firmament. By the way, later on, we're going to see that the firmament is where the birds fly. And we're also noticing here that the firmament is like a water sandwich. There's water above the firmament. There's water below the firmament. And in, in between is the firmament. And that is the expanse from earth to the atmosphere where the birds fly. Okay, because we're going to be told that in a minute. So there was water above it, so somehow part of our atmosphere, because we've got our stratosphere, our exosphere, uh, some part of that was water. And we know later on that God released that water. It rained for 40 days and for 40 nights as a judgment upon the earth uh, during the time of Noah's flood. So let's move on. That's the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Now, I'm sure that you guys learned in school that in order for plant life to survive, it has to have a sun. I don't know if you've noticed so far in our reading, there hasn't been a sun created. There's light. The physical property of light is created. We know that there's an evening and the morning, but there's no sun. So there's not enough ambient light in our universe without our sun for this earth to a remain warm to be an environment for plant life or for people or for animals for more than a day or two right before everything starts to die because it would freeze to death and we also know that none of the plant life would be able to survive because it wouldn't have a sun it didn't have a sun so if if each of these days is a million uh years in span let's say then my question is, and I did ask this to someone who believed in an uh, old earth, I asked, how could the plants survive? They said that was easy because everything initially was algaes and stuff like that. But the problem is, is see, that's not what the Bible says. 
That's man's inflection. That's man's eisegesis. That's man's reading into the Bible and speculating, which is much more difficult to do. As soon as you start doing somersaults in the scripture, you're going to have a hard time defending your position. You can attack me. You can say, I don't agree with you. And look, at there's all the science. We'll talk about the science in a moment, but the reality is, is that I'm going to stick with the scripture because it's a much safer place to start from. Okay, now let's let's move on. So that's the third day. Oh, wow, this is interesting. Here we picked up. Remember, I just said there was no sun. So verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs in the heavens, sorry, signs and seasons for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. Because see, prior to that, uh, it wasn't a uh, pointed light source like there is today with the sun. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser to rule the night. He made the stars also. It's almost like he throws that in. So he makes the sun. That's the greater light. And then the lesser night. Well, what do we know to be the lesser is the moon. The moon reflects the sun. The moon in and of itself is not a light source. The sun is the light source, and the moon simply reflects it. And then God throws in, oh, yeah, and then he made the stars also. I mean, we know that there's billions and billions of galaxies, billions and billions of light years away. But it's sort of a side-passing thing, almost as if it's not really even that important. Because the important thing here is that God's creating the earth, and on this earth, the pinnacle of his creation is mankind on day six. So we'll stop there and, and um, move forward with kind of pulling this apart. But in again, before... God made a son, he made the plant life. So if there's millions of years that transpire in between each of these days, there's different things that are called the uh, gap theory or the day-age theory. And they're just simply ways of trying to explain how we see this red shift in light of a young universe. Now, there are lots of things that point to a young universe. Uh, some of those things are erosion, the amount of dust they expected to be on the moon when they landed on the moon, which was only inches thick instead of feet thick. If the universe had been millions of years old, they expected that they would land the lunar module on the moon and it would have sank in. So they put these big giant pads in order to keep that from happening. And in reality, when they landed on the moon, there wasn't very much dust. Again, proving that it's not millions of years old. Not to mention that each year, the moon moves further away from the earth, and it's steady. And if you rewind that, the moon would have been so close to the earth, it would have flooded the earth twice a day. So nothing would have survived. You see, so if I start with the premise that God's word is true, and he means what he says and says what he means, I don't have to try to come up with anything else. Now, I've got a book. Let me grab it off my shelf. You stay right there. Don't go anywhere. I'm just going to walk right over here. I got this book in the beginning, okay? It's a great book. It's from our bookstore. And in here, there's a study on the speed of light, okay? And now it says, during the past 300 years, at least 164 separate measurements of speed, of the speed of light have been published. 16 different measurement techniques were used. Astronomer Barry Setterfield of Australia has studied these measurements, especially their precision and experimental errors. His, result, his results show the speed of light has apparently decreased so rapidly that experimental error cannot ex be explained. 
or explain it. In seven instances where the same scientists remeasured the speed of light with the same equipment years later, a decrease was always reported. Now, it says that M.E.J. Gary Debray in 1927 was probably the first to propose a decreasing speed of light. He based his conclusion on measurements spanning 75 years. Later, he became more convinced and twice published his results in Nature, which is a magazine, possibly the most prestigious scientific journal in the world. He emphasized if the velocity of light is constant, how is it that invariably new determinations give values which are lower than the last one obtained? There are 22 coincidences in favor of decrease of the velocity of light while there is not a single against it. So he goes back. This is what he says. Here's the point. He believes that the speed of light was 10 billion times faster at time zero. 10 billion times faster at time zero. That in and of itself is amazing. And here's the reality and the conclusion, and we'll end here. Did God really make the earth in six literal days? I believe he did because the verbiage and the wording in the book of Genesis states so, and science does actually, in fact, back it up. We've looked at this speed of light, and it's slowing, and now we realize that it was faster at point zero. So could God have made a universe with instantaneous light? Yes. From the stars? Yes. And here's the reality. Jason Lyle, you should get his books. Jason, and then his last name is Lyle, S-I-S-L-E, is a, uh astrophysicist, if I'm not mistaken. I could be. Forgive me if I am. Uh, get his books. Read his books. They're amazing. And he talks about different models that God could have used with the speed of light. Listen, I love creation. I love talking about creation. I love talking about God's word, period. But I really hope and pray that this has encouraged you in a little bit. Little bit. Well, I said in a little bit. This is one of those when you're at the end of the day and you've been talking and then you can't talk anymore, so forgive me. And rather than cut it out, I'm just going to leave it because uh, none of us is perfect and we make mistakes when we're talking. So here's the reality. I hope this encourages you in your faith. I think we, we need to see that it, there's not these two giants opposed to each other, science and the Bible. In reality, they complement one another. A.E. Wilder Smith said God has two Bibles. That's, that's the physical written word of God. And then he said the world around us. Go explore. Read. Study. Don't just listen to the theory of evolution and suppose it's true. Do your own research and find for yourself that the Bible is true and can't be disproven. I hope that bolsters your faith and encourages you. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time here on Grounded Podcasts. Plant a seed.